Turn again to the Gospel of John this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles as we look at those I am statements uh, that Jesus is making through the Apostle in this book of signs. Uh, John's Gospel is often divided into two parts, the book of signs in those first 12 chapters, signs that reveal who Jesus is, why He has come, and then chapter 13 and onward, the, uh, the book of glory. Uh, in John, the death of Jesus is often referred to as His glory. The road to the cross is the road uh, for glory for Jesus and all who are united to Him. But in John 11, we have this final sign. Uh, say It's the sign that, that really makes sense of all of the other signs uh, that we have in this Gospel. Jesus is going to raise His dear friend Lazarus from the dead. And then in preparation for that miracle, He gives... Uh, an I am message that we simply cannot live without uh, here. So I know I just told you to sit down, but I'm going to invite you to stand again with me as we give our attention and honor to the word of our God. Um, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews are with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind? Also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, this word that you have given to us, the powerful word that we need, it's what we desire. We desire that you would show us wonderful things from your word. We ask that you would teach us now by your Holy Spirit, conform our hearts and our our minds into the likeness of our Savior. Lord, reshape our hope in a kingdom that knows no end. The kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. Real people, real places, and real pain. Two months before uh, Elliot's parents found out that he was, or two months before his birth, they found out that he had been diagnosed with Edwards syndrome, that's a genetic genetic disorder where there's an extra copy of certain types of chromosomes, chromosome material found in the child's DNA, and so over 50% of children uh, diagnosed with this syndrome don't live um, more than a week or so, so Elliot was not expected to actually live until uh, his birth date, Um, parents' first child, uh, they had longed for child, to hold a child, and uh, God graciously brought Elliot to full term. Uh, and uh, each day, his parents, he, he lived the first day, and he lived another day, and another day, and each day his parents would celebrate uh, that, that moment he took his first breath at 4.59 uh, in the afternoon. Uh, but Elliot had a hole in his heart, he had an underdeveloped lung, and this faulty information uh, in every part of every cell in his body. Uh, He had to be tube-fed every three hours around the clock. 
And his parents just loved to spend this time with him. Um, and so they watched him grow. They watched him move his little fists. They watched him sing like only an infant child can sing. Um, and, you know, one week turned into two, which turned into three weeks. Uh, another month. Just a precious gift of life just captured their hearts. And then 99 days after he was born, Elliot died. Um, some of you can understand that level of grief. Um, for, for most of us, I think it's just, we can only imagine in silence. But for, for all of us, everyone in this room, Someone you know, maybe, maybe you're experiencing even now that loss, that hurt, that grief. Um, when you've had to say farewell to one that you know and love more than anyone else in this world. This is the reality of loss that we're confronted with in John 11. Um, a loss that we can understand and relate to. Death is in the camp. Death has claimed someone that Jesus knows very well. And every character in this narrative, every character in this story except Jesus is resolved that death is the end of the story. Um, that there is this sort of wall, this definitive break when death comes and there's no remedy. Sort of the, the incurable end it's the final verdict. Um, but that's not the verdict for the Christian. There is an answer to death. So I want us to think about how we respond to the reality of death, the paralysis of grief that comes with this pain. And if I'm honest with myself at this point, I immediately start asking questions. Lord, where did you go? Why did this happen? If you had been here, it could have prevented this agony. That, that's the question. Martha, Mary, that's, that's what they've concluded. Something better would have happened. A greater purpose would have been served if Jesus had been present. These tears can't be the best thing for us. Where did you go? Now, I'm going to use that little conjunction, if, for our two main headings in answer to this to this death if you were here and if you believe if you were here if you believe and we're shown through the actions of jesus just as the sisters were that what we expect of god what we perceive as the, the most appropriate action may not be in accordance to god's purpose or what we actually need in the moment so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill and near death, he doesn't come running. He does what is absolutely unexpected. He waits. He waits. He waits two more days to ensure that Lazarus is dead and that everyone knows it. Jesus is probably about 80 or so miles north at this time. Several days to journey to get back to this area and just 
there's a common understanding of this time that within three days, maybe the soul was still hovering around the body with the potential to be united again. But on the fourth day, then that soul had departed and the body would begin to um, decay. So there could be no question, uh, which verse 17 seems to emphasize. So the disciples probably thought they understood why Jesus didn't sprint back to Jerusalem when he heard this news. I mean, the, the Jews are out to get him. The wanted posters have already been made. But after two days, Jesus again, <laughs> he's doing the unexpected. When his friends think, think he should go, he stays. And when they think he should stay, he goes. So I want, I want us to give the disciples some credit here. They seem to be willing to stand with Jesus. There's some courage. This, this is Thomas, doubting Thomas, that we're familiar with in John chapter 20. Well, this is coming out of his mouth. So that they're, they're willing to go with him, but you know, they don't get it yet. Death is the end. God the Son does the unexpected. And we're reminded that we just cannot, we cannot put God in a box. We can't place him on our I guess, trajectory, or expect Him to adhere to our timeline. He is God. He's the one who gives life, who gives us all good things for us to enjoy, yet in His providence, He takes according to His purpose. No one understood this better than Job. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was thinking of a more contemporary example in the lyrics of a song by Natalie Grant called Held. Maybe you've heard this. Hard to listen to without the emotions just swelling up when she sings, two months is too little. They let him go. They had no sudden healing. To think that providence would take a child from his mother while she prays. It's appalling. Who told us we would be rescued? What has changed that we should be saved from nightmares? We're asking why this happens to us who have died to live. It's unfair. This is what it means to be held. There may be times when we pray. When we have prayed long as a church. But the healing just does not come. The Lord may delay sometimes in your life. The life of His church. He will answer. We know He will. But He may do so unexpectedly. Delay for the glory of His name. But it still hurts, doesn't it? The pain is real. Death is an anomaly in God's created order. It's an intrusion. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We're living in St. Louis. Just another example. Living in St. Louis, we got to know Jim and Barbara Benicke, uh, the church that we were a part of there, and they had one son, Andrew. And again, they had, had longed for a son, prayed for years, the Lord granted them Andrew, a um, delightful um, child and uh, extremely intelligent young man. By his early, early teens, um, he's when he scored a perfect on the ACT, he was accepted to Harvard, University, MIT, by the time he was 15. And right about that time, he was diagnosed with 
cancer in his brain. And within a year, the Lord had called him home. 15 years old. So years, and this is a while ago, but years later, just to mention the deep sorrow that would be on their faces. We cannot trivialize death. Even if it is somewhat expected, or it's been a long, long, painful leading up to the death, it is awful for the image bearers of God. No matter what age you may be. And I think it's one of the most ghastly things in our culture, the way we trivialize and make sport of death. I mean, we're fascinated by it as long as it doesn't seem to touch us or as long as we can escape it somehow. TV, movies, video games, our consciences just get numbed to the horror of death. But Jesus understands the horror. His heart aches over this this whole scenario and the devastation that has come with rebellion and sin. Verse 33, verse 38. As we look at the language here, it captures His anger. His outrage at this perversion of His creation. And so He weeps. He loves Lazarus. And He bursts into tears, as we do, as we should, when death is thrust upon us. But for Jesus, these aren't you know, fake tears. They aren't just the, the crocodile tears of the mourners coming to show their support. These are tears of agony from one who understands our pain and grief. Jesus understands the most painful experiences you face. He comes alongside you and no one else is fully going to understand that. Lord, where did you go? If you were here, the pain would be gone. I wouldn't have to keep recovering from the unexpected. Brothers and sisters, God says, I understand your pain. I weep with you. I know your deepest need, and I have an answer. God has an answer to death. I mean, that, that's probably the best news we're going to hear all day long. It's not just an answer reserved for that, that moment when death comes. It's an answer that actually changes our life right now. Did you hear his answer? Verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So there are several of these little ifs in the passage. Martha, verse 21. Mary, verse 32. And then Jesus takes that conjunction and offers it right back with power. In the words of Jesus, we see God's glory, a glory that's expressed through love and ultimate victory over death. Jesus shows us the glory of God. The glory and majesty of the Father is seen through Him because He must do what the Father has given Him to do. So God's glory is that all-controlling power, the chief concern for Jesus. He has to remind the disciples of this. And they try to convince him to stay away from Jerusalem. Verses 9-10. through 10. To walk in the light is to make use of the day. To do what God has given him to do. He's there. He's needed to display his glory. Jesus cannot fail in doing this. He will not fail when he interprets and, and manipulates creation. So when we want to see the Father's glory, we, we look to the actions of Jesus. 
There's a line in a, a Puritan prayer. It says, The sun breaks out in glory when he shows himself as one who outshines all creation. I love that. Jesus outshines all creation. And the glory of God is made known when he says, Lazarus, come out. The good shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name. Lazarus, come out. And the one he loves comes out of the tomb. Where Jesus is motivated by love. The glory of God is exercised in love by the Savior. This is personal. Those who knew Jesus, who spent time with Him, they they felt close to Him. They, They experienced, they believed that He loved them. It's because Jesus loved His friends that He delayed. To show just how wide and high and deep is the love of God. Even when it's well beyond their ability to understand it. You've heard that expression, love hurts. Maybe it's been used, you've used it, or others have mentioned it to you. Sometimes the greatest acts of love are cloaked by the unexpected or painful experiences. Ask any parent who's had to watch their child endure the consequences of their decisions. Love can hurt. No one knows this more than Jesus. God's love, it's realized in us and human beings as as we carry out His will. So Jesus carries out the will of the Father perfectly. He carries out His will all the way to the cross and bears that cross for you, for me, that we might not fear death. This is what God's love accomplishes. It gives life. Life that conquers death. Life that is a personal reality in Jesus Himself. So to believe then and depend upon Christ means death lies defeated in your life right now. The Gospel of John tells us, we've heard, we've looked at these, that that Jesus is the light of life. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. And now chapter 11, He gives life itself. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, it means that these things are bound up with Jesus. Resurrection and life do not exist apart from Him. You know, like peanut butter and jelly or thunder and lightning. or You just can't have one with, without the other. Jesus gives life now. And to live in faith and what His, his death and, and resurrection accomplish is to know future glories, to know the life of the future now. So I want us to think what else we can do with these words. We certainly have to acknowledge that death is real, that it's powerful, but it's very limited. Our physical bodies will die unless Jesus returns and we go to welcome Him back. Our bodies will go to the grave. This mortal life flees quickly. But for those united to Christ through faith, this is very short-lived in the scope of eternity. And this episode anticipates the resurrection of Jesus Himself and all who will follow Him in resurrected glory. Earlier in chapter 5, Jesus made this clear. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In his pain, we hear Job cry out in chapter 19, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. With great confidence, the psalmist says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We must remember that there is a, a beautiful continuity through death for those who trust in Christ. There's a precise moment when God says, no more at death. The sting has been removed. We'll actually be more alive in that moment than we have ever been. And this is what the apostles understood this. They used the term sleep over and over, just as Jesus does in this passage to describe that transitory state. The spiritual life of the believer can, continues Blessed communion with the Savior. Even as the body waits to wake up at the voice of the King. You know, I'll often hear at the time of death, well, He is no longer here. Or she's no longer with us. And I cringe a little bit at that statement. I understand why we say it. I do. Paul says to the Philippians, my desire is to depart and, and, and be with Christ. That is far better But as image bearers of God, we have been made body and soul. And there is great value and honor and dignity given to the body at the time of death. Jesus shows us this in this passage. Verse 15, verse 34, He says to His disciples, He says, we're going to go back. Let us go to Him. Not let us go to the gravesite. Not let us go to the body. Let us go to Him. This is Lazarus. This is Lazarus that Jesus will raise. I think I've mentioned this in passing. Um, So please hear my words for a moment, not the Lord's decree in this application. Um, But nowhere in the Bible that I have found is there a good and healthy relationship between the body and the flames. Fire is a picture of God's wrath and judgment and torment upon the body. It is saving from the fire of judgment that is the message of salvation. So I want us to think about that as as Christians. Will we willingly submit the body to the flames? I have in mind, I mean, cremation specifically uh, here. It doesn't seem to align with the message we really say that we believe and want to convey to a watching world. The message that this body has value that this body is known of God, that this body, this body will be raised at the coming of the Lord. So I know that's not always within our control. Um, If you've thought about that issue and submitting to the body to the flames willingly, let me urge you to reconsider that. Um, This is where the This is where the church really can and should help one another in carrying each other's burdens. We should help if it's done for cost or convenience, expediency. We want to see Christ exalted in our living 
and in our dying. And those who go before us are proclaiming the truth of the resurrection as, we, as their bodies are laid to what? To rest. Now, I understand if you've been down that road already, there's no shame. There is, there is nothing, not even the destruction of the body, that can snatch the sheep from the shepherd's hand. We have glory for all eternity. But let's show the world, let's show the world now that the only source of hope and assurance and life in a better world where every tear is wiped away, where death will be no more, let's put our sleeping loved ones in the ground because our bodies won't be there for very long. Here's another very short just something to ponder to consider the victory of God in Christ. What, what characterizes your faith? Is your faith strong and thriving when things seem to be going as expected? When things are going well, but then starts to, to vanish in times of pain, the unexpected? Our, our faith is going to fluctuate. Uh, there are times when we we're just going to have a hard time believing what God says. Believing His promises. But our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not characterized by our circumstances. Our faith is characterized and grounded in the God who gives life to the dead. So our faith must be, must be grounded in His character. What He has accomplished in Jesus. Our faith is in a person. Our hope and assurance is in a person, the person who is the resurrection and the life. Do you remember Elliot mentioned a few minutes ago? Elliot's parents did not believe that death was the end for their son. Uh, they had committed him to the Lord, mutual faith and dependence upon Christ. Uh, they found rest in Jesus, the reality of the resurrection. Elliot's father had been writing to him every day. In that final entry, his father says to him, so today we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we are only separated for a time. See you soon, son. At the very moment of death, the Lord God intercedes for his beloved and says, no more. No more. So when the unexpected comes, when death is thrust upon you, go to the Lord in your grief. Take the, take the hurt and the hope and just squash it all together. It's there that, that you'll be comforted by His love. Believing that you, believing that those that you love are well in the presence of the Lord. The only answer for death in this world is Jesus, who gave his life that we can have life now and forever. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord, help us to believe that you and you alone are the answer to our greatest sorrow, to our pain. You are the one who comforts us by your love. Oh, what greater love than you who have given your life for us. We thank you that we have this life now and forever. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would send us now with, with your peace, 
And that with each breath, with each step, with each day that you give us, we would testify to your great name, the one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen.